What's up, New Hope? Hope you are doing great on this great Sunday. We are so glad you are in the house of the Lord. Welcome all of our campuses. Welcome those of you who are online today. You are in for a treat. And one of the reasons you are in for a treat is because my good friend, our teaching pastor, Mike Bro is back in the house today. It's been a little while since he has been with us. He will be with us five or six times this year. We are so blessed to have this brother teaching the Word of God today. I know how much you guys enjoy him, uh, so I just want to invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles. We are in the Gospel of John, and as you know, we are in a series titled Wrecked and Redeemed, so if you haven't gotten your book yet, go by one of the resource centers at any of our campus locations and pick that up. Today, I am in the Holy Land. Amy Lynn and I are hosting 44 new hopers in the Holy Land. And so we covet your prayers. We are excited about getting into the land of Jesus and reading the scriptures and growing together. But Mike Bro actually decided to fit a message within this series. This was not an original part of the series, but Mike, as he is, he is just a servant of the Lord, went to John's gospel and went to work on a message titled, Do You Want to Get Well? And I'm just so excited that you're gonna hear from him today. I'm praying for you. I love you. I want you to do what you always do. Give it up and welcome Pastor Mike Bro to the stage today. Man, it's, uh, it's great to see you all. Great to be back. I've missed you. I was supposed to come back like in December or January and you got snowed out. Like the, the service got canceled. So much better weather this time around. Great to be back. Want to welcome all the campuses, those of you that might be joining us online as well. So stoked that we all get to do this together. Uh, really excited to be a part of this series as well, uh, Wrecked and Redeemed. And man, had this series been a, a powerful series so far? I mean, I'm so proud of Benji and the way that God is uh, using his story. And if you've missed any of the series, I would encourage you to check it out online. Or if you haven't grabbed a book, you ought to grab a book and devour it. It's so good. Such good stuff. And I think it'll encourage you and give you some helpful things to incorporate in your own life. And, and I'm so excited about today because I think, I think this could be a defining moment in your life. I think this could be a weekend of, of freedom because I know that with God's help, all of us could like break some chains and start to walk free. Let me just ask you, I don't want you to raise your hand, but, but what is it that keeps you from really walking free? I mean, what do you struggle with? Maybe, you know, maybe it's anxiety or worry or panic or, or some kind of fear or perhaps some kind of anger or bitterness inside or, or some abuse stuff you've had to deal with, or maybe it's gambling or, or alcohol or drugs or pornography or some kind of sexual addiction. Maybe it's, maybe it's bigotry or cynicism. Do you have trouble telling the truth? Maybe you might be dealing with grief or maybe going through a divorce. Maybe you have a tendency to be critical or perfectionistic or procrastination might be your deal or maybe, maybe codependency. Are you a control freak? Are you a workaholic? Do you overspend? Do you overeat? Do you undereat? Do you struggle with body issues? Do you have some relational wounds that have left you with trust issues? Do you ever know that something is wrong, but you do it anyway? Do you ever say, I got to change my language, but profanity still spews out of your mouth? Do you often find it hard to go to sleep at night? 
Do you find it hard to get out of bed in the morning? Do you struggle with depression? Do you battle with envy, contentment, insecurity? Do you have a memory that haunts you? Got some unresolved guilt that paralyzes you? If you answer yes to any of those, welcome to New Hope. Because <laughs> we are all in recovery from something, right? Now, while it is true that many of us have found hope and many of us are actually walking free these days, just humbly learning to trust the grace and the strength and the unfailing love of God for every step of the journey, every day of our life, and he is transforming many of us from the inside out, you still need to know that this is a community of fellow strugglers here. No perfect people allowed in this place. We're all in this together, so you are not alone. It's amazing how most of us are like the rest of us. And again, I can't tell you how excited I am that you're here this weekend because I know that there's healing and freedom and hope and a new life waiting for every one of us in this place. Jesus came to set us free, and if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen. A while back, I ran across uh, some winners in the annual, they call it neologisms. It's kind of a word smash-up contest that the Washington Post runs every year. And here's just a few of my favorites, the words they, people smash together, like, like coffee. That's the person who's coughed upon. You have the coffer, and then you have the coffee, right? I like this one, abdicate, to give up all hope of ever having a flat stomach. Anybody else abdic already abdicated? I like this one, yogi. The only guy in the yoga class. Don't, don't be the yoga guy. Uh, esplanade. That's to attempt an explanation while you're drunk. Let, let me just explanate something to you. I like this one. Frisbeterianism. That's the belief that when you die, your soul goes up on the roof and gets stuck there. Frisbeterianism. My personal favorite, Pokemon. That's a Jamaican proctologist. Pokemon. Right, right. Now, here's, here's one I made up after years of, of working with people. Hypofinreac. That's a person who knows they're sick, but keeps saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm really fine. And now, we've been in this series walking through the Gospel of John. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four books of the New Testament of the Bible, all about Jesus and the way that he interacted with people in loving and life-changing ways. And there's all kinds of stories contained where Jesus meets people right where they are, right in the middle of their mess, right in the middle of their shame, right in the middle of their despair, and brings healing and freedom into their life. There's a story like that in John chapter 5. There's this guy, he, he's lying by a pool in downtown Jerusalem. In fact, I snapped this picture of the pool of Bethesda a couple of years ago when I was in Israel, like Benji and 40 other New Hopers are right now. It's a huge pool. And this pool in downtown Jerusalem was thought to have these amazing healing properties. So all kinds of people with all kinds of issues in their life would gather all, all these porches around the pool there. Well, this particular guy that was lying there on this day had been an invalid for 38 years, the scripture tells us. And Jesus walks up, and this is what it says in John chapter five. When Jesus saw him lying there and had learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, I just got to be honest. I used to think when I read that, Jesus, come on. Do you want to get well? 38 years? Now, no disrespect, Jesus, but it's kind of a stupid question. But you know what, gang, I've been around long enough now to know 
It's not a stupid question. Because some of us just don't. I know, personally. We're hypofine reacts. We aren't willing to surrender to somebody else greater than us. Instead, we say over and over again, again, I've been there. I'm fine, really, I'm fine, I got this. I'm good, it's really, it's really not an issue. It's really not, it's really not a problem. It's been my experience that sometimes it's fear that keeps us stuck right there. There's the fear of change. Our dysfunction has become so normal to us that we would rather wear it like a comfortable old pair of shoes than to slip on a new pair and walk a new direction toward freedom. We actually fear the change more than we fear the misery that it's doing to our lives and the lives of people around us. There's the fear of change. There's also the fear of embarrassment. I mean, honestly, sometimes we do feel like we are the only person that struggles with this stuff. Sometimes we feel we're the only one that has screwed up this bad. And so we hide, we stuff it down, or we put on a mask and we play the whole image management game. And pretty soon in our silence, we begin to feel very alone. And we start wondering, man, am, am I just too screwed up? I actually might be beyond hope. And we begin to feel so phony and so less than. And we get overwhelmed by this thing called shame. You know what shame is? Now, guilt and shame are not the same. Guilt is actually a good thing that God put within us. It's like the check engine light on the dashboard of your car that lets you know that something not quite right is going on under the hood. And guilt is a loving reminder from God saying, okay, we caught this early. Let's diagnose this together, let's deal with it now, and let's move forward. But if we don't deal with the guilt, it morphs into its sinister cousin called shame. And I'm telling you guys, shame is a whole other level. It not only attacks the what you've done, but it begins to attack the who you are. Author and psychologist Merle Fossum puts it this way, he says, a pervasive sense of shame is the ongoing premise that one is fundamentally bad, inadequate, defective, unworthy, or not fully valid as a human being. And I don't have to tell you how painful it is going through life believing that about yourself. Lou Smeads puts it like this. He says, the difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because he or she did something wrong. A person feels shame because he or she is something wrong. See the difference there? See how it attacks your core identity? I heard a really stupid joke a while back, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. Um, there, there's this lady who would w walk down the street on her way to work every day, and, and she'd have to walk past a pet, pet shop. And in, in the window of a pet shop was a parrot. As she walked by the pet shop every day, the parrot would go, hey, lady. She'd go, what? He'd go, you're ugly. She'd go, what? Just really offended her. Next day, she walks by the pet shop. Hey, lady. She goes, what? He goes, you're ugly. She goes, what? And just, finally, she said, I'm not taking this anymore. So she goes in the pet store and says, I want to speak to the manager. Manager comes out. said, listen, every time I walk by your store, that stupid bird in the window insults me. I, I don't, I don't want to hear it anymore. And he says, ma'am, I'm so sorry he's doing that. I promise you he will never do it again. <laughs> so bad. So the next day she's walking down the street. She walks by the pet store. Her parrot goes, hey lady. She goes, what? He goes, you know. 
You know. You know, the, the Bible, the Bible calls Satan, who is the enemy of our soul, who is the original identity thief, the father of lies, also calls him our accuser. And he says to us, you know. He doesn't have to say it anymore. He says, you know, you know, you know who you are. You know who you really are. You're, you're such a loser. You're, 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 just, you're just a drunk. You're an addict. You're a junkie. You're a pervert. You know. You know, you're such a failure. You're so tainted. You're so dirty. You're so irreversibly stained. You know. You're so stupid. You're so fat. You're so ugly, so lazy, so unlikable. You're so alone. You always have been, always will be. Just face it. That's just who you are. See, I'm telling you from experience, shame will keep you stuck. It is this extremely dangerous enemy. But you also need to know this. Shame has a dangerous enemy. It's called grace. Shame towers over me and tells me that I'm defective. Grace stoops down and tells me I'm valuable. Shame's greatest weapon is the fear of judgment. Grace's even greater weapon is the relief of unconditional love. Shame says that because I'm flawed, I'm unacceptable. Grace says that even though I am flawed, I'm absolutely priceless. Shame believes that the opinion of the crowd is all that matters. Grace believes that the opinion of God is all that matters. Shame makes us hide. Grace sets us free. Shame sucks us dry. Grace gives us life. Shame is the language of the thief, and grace is the language of Jesus. Now... I want, you to, I want you to see some things that the God of unfailing love actually says about who we are. Look what it says, like in, in Isaiah 43. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. You see the number it does on shame? Look at this, Isaiah 44, 22. I have swept away your sins like the morning mist. I have scattered your offenses like the clouds. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. One of my favorites, Micah chapter seven, verse 19 says, once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and you will hurl them into the depths of the ocean. And you need to know this, God's got a great arm. In fact, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 says, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. In Romans 8, 1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, when you come to him, the lover and healer of your soul, and you humbly say, yes, yeah, I, I wanna get well. And you humbly let him go to work inside of you, Again, from experience, all that shame, all that fear, it gets replaced with hope and freedom. So Jesus asked, you wanna get well? You wanna get well? I just got a text yesterday. I was sitting at the Raleigh Airport. Got a text from a friend. Uh, Actually, he's a kid that I coached in basketball years ago. And he's finally saying, yes, I do. I wanna get well. In fact, I'm not sure what time it is here right now, but he's on the West Coast, California, and he's at his first AA meeting this morning. 
A buddy, uh, I, I text a friend. He took him this morning. He'd just been living in denial for so long. And he says, I'm, I'm done. I need help. I need to get well. You know what I, I've learned in my life? That denial is not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> I have worked with so many people, including myself, that were pridefully living in denial. People who say, oh, my alcohol is not a problem. It's just, just a little pot. It's just, just a little meth. It's not, it's not, I wouldn't call it an addiction. I don't have anger issues. I don't have anger issues. I'm not codependent. I don't have trust or forgiveness issues. My fears are not irrational. Come on, porn, porn is not a problem for me. And besides that, I, I, I got this. I can, I can fix this on my own. Really? I used to say that until I heard somebody say, if you could have, you would have, but you can't, so you won't. I, this is just for me, but you ever, you ever browse some of those big bookstores like Barnes & Noble and places like that? I always get a little tickled at the sign that says self-help section. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should not grab some much-needed resources. There's a bunch of great stuff out there. But the whole notion of, quote-unquote, self-help is like an oxymoron to me. Self can't help. If self could help, you wouldn't need self-help. I mean, self is unreliable. Self is unpredictable. Self is untrustworthy. All self can help you do is dig yourself in a great big hole. If self-help was where it was at, Jesus would have shown up and passed out gift cards to Barnes & Noble saying, grab yourself a self-help book and a grande vanilla latte and have a great life. But he didn't do that because self can't help. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians. This is powerful to me. He says, we felt like we were doomed to die. Ever felt like that? And we saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. Ever felt like that? He says, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. I have been learning there is power in powerlessness. When you and I finally humble ourselves and we admit our weaknesses, then God's strength has permission to begin to flow through us and help us walk free. Healing takes a greater power than ourself. And you need to know this. There is only one thing in the entire universe stronger than the power of God. You're saying, well, bro, what's that? His desire to love you. His desire to help you, to pull you out, to lead you. To heal you? Bill W., one of the founders of AA, referring to his and others' miraculous relief from alcoholism, once wrote this, we found that God could and would if he were sought. We found that God could and would if he were sought. And if this is true, as millions of recovering addicts can attest to, then isn't it also possible that God can't and won't if he's not? You see, I think God gives us a choice through the double-edged sword of free will. He lovingly and politely asks us, you want to get well? It's up to you. You want to get well? And the surrender of our will to the will and supernatural power of God is the pathway to freedom. 
When you and I begin to surrender, when we quit calling the shots and we quit playing God and we drop the whole image management fake stuff and we get honest and humble with our, and, and humble ourselves before God, then God can move in and we'll finally have the right person in charge of our life and the right kind of power it takes to actually change. When Jesus asks, do you want to get well? He's asking, are you willing to surrender to me and let my power go to work in you? Are you willing to, to accept the responsibility of doing whatever I ask you to do to walk toward wholeness and walk toward freedom? Jesus says, listen, I will transform you. And I alone have the power to pull that off. I'm just asking you to cooperate in this healing process by doing some things that only you can do. In other words, as you and I do what we need to do, God will do what only he can actually do. See, I'm learning that there are some things that God won't do for you. Now, he will transform us. He alone has that power, and he desperately wants to. But he also wants our humble, intentional, dependent cooperation and surrender. He won't be honest about your junk for you. He won't go to rehab for you. He won't go to meetings for you. He won't go to counseling for you. He won't get into community for you. He won't walk with the wise for you. He won't renew your mind for you. He won't take your meds for you. He won't show up here regularly and worship for you. He won't let go of bitterness and make amends with other people for you. He won't seek out accountability for you. He won't think on things that are pure and right and true and noble and praiseworthy and lovely and excellent for you. He won't let the word of Christ dwell in you richly for you. He won't cast all your anxiety on him for you. He won't practice gratitude for you. He won't humble yourself for you. Those are things that you and I can do. And as we humbly and consistently do those things, just make them a regular part of the rhythm of our life, then God goes to work and continues to do the amazing inside-out healing and transformation. I've had the privilege of having a front row seat to some amazing transformations. You got to see one of them just a few weeks ago when Benji showed you Keith's story. He's one of my best friends, and God has done an amazing story, a wrecked and redeemed story with him. But uh, I think the most amazing one I've ever got to see up close was a girl named Deanna. And uh, Deanna loves this verse of scripture. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It just says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The old is gone. And the new is here. She, she's kind of like the poster child for that verse. My wife, Debbie, uh, I hope you get to meet Debbie sometime. She's amazing. Uh, she's been involved in a ministry that's trying to provide a, a safe place for women who may have uh, been victims of sex trafficking or perhaps want to get out of the adult entertainment industry, prostitution, and just get a fresh start in life. It's an awesome recovery ministry called Refuge for Women. And it's based in central Kentucky and girls from all over the country have come there to find uh, help and hope and freedom. Uh, we now have houses in, in Vegas and Chicago area as well. But uh, Deanna graduated from the program and she lived with us in an upstairs apartment in our home uh, for three years. And she has become like our daughter. And she is so fun. 
and so full of life and so full of joy and walking so free these days. She's so dramatically changed. And she's super grateful for a God who just met her where she was and swept away her fear, swept away her shame with his amazing grace. And a while back, she allowed us to capture her very raw and honest and unique story. Uh, just, just take a look at Deanna's story. Who am I? That is a question that I've spent most of my life either running from or running in circles to find the answer to. For a dream to come true, you must first begin with a dream. But for me, that dream was implanted by someone else before I learned how to dream. From the age of five, my alcoholic mom controlled my family using emotions, sex, and abuse. She would torment me with pranks and would set me up to catch her sexual behaviors. She found it funny to watch me scream or squirm with anguish, and it seemed my sole purpose in life was to be my mother's entertainment. Uh, my mom was not well. She was very sick. Um, I had to deal a lot with, with her abuse. There were many times that I would come home and she would be slitting her wrist. And, um, you know, one of the times I, I vividly remember her looking at me and said, this is what you're doing to me. All I cared about was her loving me. So surprisingly, my whole life, I grew up still wanting her approval and her love. You know, I didn't realize until I was 19 years old that those things that happened in my house were not normal. By the age of seven, my mother continued to amuse herself by bringing me into her porn addiction. She assured me it was natural to watch because that is how I was made. I can't describe what I felt as a little girl when I was forced to watch these images. There were emotions of fear, excitement, and being sick to my stomach all at the same time. I vividly remember walking to school in first grade thinking to myself, when I grow up, I want to be a lawyer. But first, I want to be a porn star. She died when I was nine and left me with a poor model of womanhood and a longing to discover somebody different, somebody my mother would have loved. Drugs, alcohol, unhealthy relationships, and self-injury became a part of my life. I spent many weekdays in junior high and high school passed out in alleys from alcohol poisoning. The guys I called friends had expectations that I would fulfill out of guilt in hopes they would love me, and they didn't. I believed that less clothes meant real beauty, and physical affection meant real love. When I was 17, my sister was dancing at a club, and so I decided it was a good idea to go and make some money real quick underage. I thought you had a ride if we got a job there because they were so particular on who they hired, so I looked at it like an honor, but you know, it was those same girls that ended up showing me that I could make money for sex. With prostitution came a pimp, an agent who promised to make me a star. He sent me to California to pursue performing in the very movies and magazines I saw when I was a little girl. My drug use now moved from the streets to limos, mansions, and Hollywood. Finally, a group of people who approved of me. I had failed at being Deanna, but this new character they gave me, that person, I thought I could be. I think for me, uh, honestly, one of the most addicting parts of the industry is is the attention you receive. You'd step out of the limo and, um, 
you know, at every party, like, there would be photographers always taking pictures of you, always interviewing you. The makeup, you know, always having your makeup and hair done kind of makes you feel glamorous. Always getting fan mail of, you know, like, stuffed animals and jewelry and stuff like that. It made you feel like everybody loved you. Um, but they were just lonely, too. None of that made me happy. None of it. I just remember thinking, like, I would really like somebody to call my own. I wanted to go out on a date. All of a sudden, like, I felt um, naked. I just, I just wanted to put some clothes on, and I just wanted somebody to cherish me and, and value me. You know, I needed to discover who Deanna was, because I had hid behind this character for a long time. Take away the publicity and the makeup, and I was the same scared little six-year-old girl I was still running while tempting others to stumble as they indulged in my personal pain. I began to realize the damage that porn was doing in the world. A fan of mine took his family savings and drove from Georgia to California to get me to sign his DVD collection. Upon returning home, his wife asked him to shut down all of my websites. And rather than unplugging the computer, he found it easier to shoot himself, leaving a grieving family behind. October 1st, 2006, I attended a party on the company's behalf and I drank everything in sight. I wound up getting wheeled out under a sheet to protect my so-called identity. And as I was by the ambulance, I looked at my friends and gasped, I cannot do this anymore. I prayed for God to take me. I could not continue to live. I was tired of ending up in the same desperate place. I thought he had answered my prayer to die, but he had another purpose for me. Thanks to God and recovery, I haven't picked up a drink since that night. It was time for me to go and heal. Go and heal from the inside out. I was told I couldn't be delivered to something until I understood what I was delivered from. So after years of running away from things, for the first time in my life, I felt I was about to run towards something, someone. On April 8th, 2012, I was baptized with a deeper understanding that no love is as great as the love with which Jesus loves me. Psalm 68.6 says that God sets the lonely in families, and that's what he's done for me. I am part of a loving family greater than I ever imagined. I have a father who wants to fully know me and wants me to fully know him. I don't feel like a victim anymore. I don't feel like I've been abused, and I certainly don't feel um, the way I used to when I used to just feel used and disgusting. I feel brand new, like completely new, and I will wear a white wedding dress on my wedding day. For me, the nightmare has ended, and a new dream, a new story has begun. I am somebody's daughter, and most importantly, the daughter of a king. Today, I know who I am. My name is Deanna, and I am truly a grateful follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, that little girl walked out of the darkness and 
into the light of God's unfailing love. And uh, two years ago, I had the honor to officiate her wedding as she stood there in a white dress with her husband, a young pastor named Matt. She graduated last year from Asbury Seminary with a 4.0 in spiritual formation and is now helping other women find hope in their life as well. Yeah. She is someone who heard Jesus ask, do you want to get well? She said, yeah, I do. I really want to get well. And she began to do some things to draw close to God every day. And she began to live in the awareness of his love and his power and his presence every day, one step at a time. And she began to do the hard work of renewing her mind. It was hard work because she had thought a certain way for a lot, a lot of years. And as a result, she... She knows that her past is her past. She's not defined by any of that stuff. She's so confident in the truth that anyone, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And these days she finally knows who she is. A priceless, chosen, deeply loved child of God. And she walks in joy and freedom like few people I know. So can I ask you, are you walking free like that? Because you can, you should. Jesus came to give us life, and not just eternal life, although that's super important, but life right now. He came to fill you and me up with living water. He came to stoop down into the dirt of our anger and our envy and our lust and our greed and our addictions and our regret and our self-centeredness to lift us up and embrace us and forgive us and heal us and set us free and change us. Here's a great word from the God who loves us. He says, I have seen what they do. They're not fooling anybody, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace, both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. So with that being said, can I ask you one more time? You want to get well? Because he wants to bring healing. He wants to bring freedom into your life. And you know what? God can and will if he saw it. So let's just pray about this for, for a minute. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you're kind of like my buddy who I'm, I'm guessing right now is walking into his very first AA meeting and uh, doesn't know anybody there. Just kind of hooked him up with a guy, a friend of, friend of a guy of a guy who was going to a meeting and he just needed a place to land and I'm sure he's scared right now, and, but I also know he's, some hope is starting to rush into his life. And maybe, maybe you're kind of like that today. Maybe, maybe his issue is not your issue, but you came in here with some kind of junk and you just took a lot of courage to pull in the parking lot and walk through the door and go, oh man, here I go. I'm not sure what I'm gonna find, but here I go, I, I, I need something. And God met you here and he, He's just lovingly and politely asking, you want to get well? Because I can help you. I, I can heal that wound inside of you. I can, I, I, can, I can bring peace like you've never known. I, I can wipe away the past. I can sweep away all the shame, all the fear. And, and I can give you a brand new life. And he can. 
He's just asking, do you want to get well? And our response to that question is the beginning of, of a new life. So maybe right now, in just your own words, you could just say, I, I do, I want to get well, Jesus. I want, I want to change. I, it's been a long time. I've been trying to fake everybody out. I've been trying to stuff it down inside. I've isolated myself. I've done all kinds of stuff. And I'm just ready to be free. I want to break these chains and walk free. What, whatever it is, just invite him into your life. Maybe you've never asked him to be the forgiver of your sin. Just say, I accept what you did for me on a cross. Come into my life. I, I, want, I want to be a new person. And in just a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate baptisms. You'll have a chance to kind of bury the old you and walk a new life in that. Pray you'll do that. But Father, right now, I just want to thank you for um, the way you do throw our junk as far as the east is from the west and you start to work inside of us when we humble ourselves and, and surrender to your power. God, uh, just forgive us for times we thought we could handle it on our own, that we didn't need you, that we, we were strong enough. As a result, uh, we just kind of crumbled on the inside and honestly even hurt some people around us because we, we were too stubborn. So Father, I, I pray that today would be a, a step toward healing for a lot of people. And uh, Jesus, I, I thank you for that question. It's not a stupid question. And I, and I pray it all in your name. Amen.